Here's a news flash. Surprise, surprise. Well, look at you. The whole world is watching for my next move. Oh, my God. Times have changed. There are no rules. You're going to love it. Hi, and welcome to a very special episode of Skip Intro, the podcast from Binge. My name is John Boehm, and we've assembled this emergency episode of the podcast because this morning, Binge's very first original series, Love Me, scored itself seven Logie nominations, and we could not be more excited. The nominations include Most Outstanding Drama Series, Most Popular Drama Program, Most Outstanding Actor for Hugo Weaving, along with Most Popular Actor for Hugo Weaving, most Outstanding Supporting Actress for Heather Mitchell, and Most Popular Actress for Bojana Novakovic. And finally, the seventh nomination is the Graham Kennedy Award for Most Popular New Talent for Will Loder. Of course, those most popular categories that I mentioned are voted by you, the viewer, so please head to tbweeklogiesvote.com, that's tbweeklogiesvote.com, to show us your support. You can, of course, catch the entire first season of Love Me, streaming now on Binge. And to celebrate these nominations, we wanted to share with you a special Love Me panel that Skip Intro co-host and Binge's executive director, Ali Herbert Burns, moderated early this year at the Screen Forever conference. Joining Ali on the panel was the series director, Emma Freeman, executive producer from Warner Brothers, Hamish Lewis, and the newly Logie-nominated Will Lodder. So we hope you enjoy this chat about all things Love Me and binge and once again we would love your support so please head to tbweeklogiesvote.com over to you ali we are here today to talk about love me and i'm joined by the director of love me emma freeman one of our stars will lodder and our executive producer from warner brothers hamish lewis and we've got um yeah some good questions to go through the process of making this and why it was binge's first original commission very proud of this show that launched on on boxing day around australia and it's time for you to ask us some questions as well if you've got them for us while we've got these very clever people on the stage We've also got some Love Me perfume, which we made as part of our marketing for the series. So if you ask a question, you can have a bottle of perfume to take home if you'd like one. So It's like an Oprah moment. I know. Everyone gets a Everyone. perfume. Yeah. They're under your seats. <laughs> Everyone gets a perfume. So Hamish, we might start with you because Love Me comes from a Swedish series. And we've had lots of questions about how it came to be in Australia and the process of, of bringing it from its Swedish origins. Can you talk us through a little bit that process, how it came to be in your hands and how it came to Oz? Yeah, we share... We've got some brilliant um, international Warner Brothers offices that are creating some really beautiful, you know, European scripted content. So we often share formats both on the scripted and non-scripted side. And the, the Swedish team had sent us Alska Me, which was Josephine Bourne-Bush's original, um, and the, the Warner team, we watched it in about 24 hours. It was beautiful, it was character-driven, it had a lot of heart, and the performances were amazing. But kind of the key to it was the, the, the core of the project was the, the premise itself, and it was love and gr grief through the eyes of three generations of the one family. So when we're looking at adapting stuff for an English-language audience, really a show can be great, as a high concept show, but you've got to look at what the core premise is and, and, and Love Me, I think, is just so easily translatable. They're relatable themes and we thought, look, if we can take this you know, beautifully successful show, we know how well it's done in, in Sweden and, and make it our own, then let, let's give it a crack. So we, um, 
we spoke to the Swedish team, asked you know whether we could take the rights and start pitching it in into the market in Australia, and did a bit of preliminary development, um, and then sort of opened the dialogue with with yourself at Binge. Yeah, and other people had tried to adapt this, hadn't they? So, getting your hands on the English language version was no small feat. It had a, a round through America, had it not, before it came to you? Yeah, it was with Elizabeth Banks um, and the ABC in in the US, but I, I think they to some degree missed the, the core premise of the show and, and kind of tried to, I guess, focus in on, on one character and, and not give an ev even weight to the three. And we saw, you know, the great opportunity to really tell stories of multiple generations. You know, if you're looking at engaging an audience, we're, we're ticking the box. We've got a 20-year-old story, we've got the 30 to 40-year-old female story, and we've got an older generation story. So I think when we started to develop the show and work closely with the Swedes, we, we made sure that we were going to stay true to the premise and, and stay true to the story. And, and I think we've somewhat executed that. Yeah, and now we'll be going back, ironically, back to America. April 1st it goes out on Hulu in the States, so yeah. it will find itself an American audience in the end as well. Yeah, and I think it's going to cut through in America, you know. Um, I think it feels certainly fresh um, and unique, and I think, you know, we've got some big names, but we've also got some great new talent, and, and Emma Freeman's one of the best directors we've got in the country, so I think that's going to, yeah. you know, help, help with audiences over there in the States. So you and I had been talking early on with Lana and Brian Walsh um, at the Fox Tour group about what Binge's first original commission might be. We knew we wanted something for summer um, and we really, really wanted a love story. And I think you and Lana got to talking one day and you said, I have one for you. Um, and it moved through the process quite quickly, didn't it, to commission? Yeah, well, I mean, usually when you're pitching something, you're either pitching an idea verbally, you've got a one-pager or you've got a, a, a treatment and a pilot script. But very rarely you have literally a series as the, the ultimate moving mood board you could possibly, you know, use. So we, we obviously took that to you guys. You immediately jumped at it. You were already aware of the project. And then I think the, you know, the discussions were around what, what changes do we want to make? What, where can we make this feel iconically Australian? You know, top line discussions, where do we want to set this show? Mm -hmm. um, I think we all really love high-end, you know, sophisticated European drama. And I think we wanted to maintain that on the show. Um, so, you know, all those discussions happened early on and we, the, you know, we moved very quickly. We it did. We commissioned this about a year ago. I think it was just around Easter last year and we were obviously on air in December. It was shot in Melbourne during COVID. So it was a huge endeavour in 2021 to get this out, wasn't it, Emma? Talk to us a little bit about that process. And, yeah, and so I feel Melbourne. like I really aged. <laughs> <laughs> about 10 years during the production. It was, um, yeah, it was fast, but, you know, it had this vitality and energy to it. And for me, you know, at the time, I, you know, I've lived in Melbourne all of my life. And at the end of that 18 months of lockdown, there was just such, for me, a longing to tell a story set in Melbourne. And for me, it was always a love letter to Melbourne. Like, there's a, for me, a real tenderness to the piece that extends obviously from the characters but to the city and to actually be making a show in lockdown and it was actually weirdly an emotional experience like you know and going to some of the places like Flagstaff Station or Flinders Street Station or the Princess Bridge and it was just empty mm. and it was sort of equal parts exciting that finally we could shoot in those places but then a sadness to the city. And so I think that melancholy uh, does perhaps wash over the piece, which is why, why I love it, because I think it's an important part, part of the show.
It, it's funny because when we commissioned it, um, we'd come out of that first year of COVID and especially Melbourne had, had borne the brunt of that so hard and I think we felt that people were ready for an uplifting story like this, a beautiful love story. But after 2021, I think when this came out at December, Boxing Day, lots of people missing Christmas, a COVID wave coming through the country again, there was almost... People's emotions were almost right under the skin, weren't they? Yeah, and I think, I think we, it we all feel that it sits on the surface. And I think it's an interesting piece because it's about how love and grief can coexist and how we can accept both things and they can be so terribly sad but also incredibly uplifting. And that was the, for me as a director and very much a performance-based director, is like that was the interesting thing for me is how do you find that place where you can be finding the love of your life but also grieving the loss of a family member. So it, it was really quite fascinating experience. Yeah. And juggling that fine line of comedy and, and drama, I mm. think, you know, you managed to do that beautifully throughout so that, you know, you've got audiences crying in, in one scene and five minutes later laughing their head off. So I think that kind of had really tapped into the heart of the show and, and was really relatable at the end well, of the day. That's the wonderful thing about truth is that it can be hilarious and devastating within the same moments and I think that that was certainly what we really worked towards was, a, you know, a truth. And when you work with this amazing group of actors, um, you know, that's what you're striving for every day. There's sort of like, there's a bit of humour and, you know, it's human nature as well to not just be, you know, grieving and in and, and, and loss as well, to also laugh and, you know, have that that fun side to it, even though you're in that type of state. I think, you know, that that's it had a good balance between, you know, the hum humoristic and comedic side to it, but with all the sadness and, you know, mm. the depressing stuff on the other side. And <laughs> wow. we love the that audience stuff. get through some of that heavier stuff, didn't it? Because there was that, I suppose that's part of how we put a bit of an Australian stamp on it as well. How can you take people through a really emotional journey but do it in a way that is accessible and not too heavy so that you can really get a sense of that emotional journey? How else did you tackle this? You talked about wanting, um, you know, a bit of a love letter to Melbourne, but I love that this wasn't, I've described it as it wasn't achingly Australian, like this can travel, it feels very contemporary, I think we'll see it, you know, go around the world, but it's still, it, it felt so Australian, but I felt like you showed Melbourne in a really different way, a unique way. Yeah, well, I think I just was so in love with Melbourne and, look, to be honest, I was, like, locked inside a house in Northcote with a one-year-old <laughs> who was just driving me crazy at that point. So every time I went out, I was like, oh, I love the city. Oh, look <laughs> at that building. Oh, just, so that, that, you know, I had this newfound love uh, for Melbourne. But, of course, you're coming from character, whatever location you're finding or whatever space you're finding, you're thinking about the character moving through that space. And for me, it was a really different project because I'd come from the newsreader, which is a very 80s, and, <laughs> you know, we're throwing the camera around, these big, long cam shots, and, you know, and, and what I love about the piece is it's, for me as a director, I just wanted to stay out of it. I wanted it to be about these characters and the performance and for my work to be unnoticeable. Mm. So it was quite, even though it seemed simple, it was actually quite hard because you, you, you know, you want to move the camera and you want to do a tracking shot and you want to do these Steadicam, but actually the whole piece was so centred in truth and a quietness mm. that um, 
apart from the beauty of the locations, I think the beauty of the performances and sitting with those characters in the simplicity of the style, I, I really love what we did with that. Yeah. I mean, there was really only... It was three POVs the entire show, you know, and there's only sort of five characters at the end of the day, so it is very simple and allows us to really get in the world of each of these characters um, and sit and, and breathe with them. And I think the time you allowed, you know, that to happen just is, feels, for me, very, very unique and, and sort of a, a nod, I guess, to some of the European dramas we see as well. And a lot of our audience binge this. We dropped all six episodes at once. A lot of people were either home with COVID or on summer holidays... Um, and I think we moved them through the emotion in that four or five hour period of the six episodes that at the end people had felt that they'd kind of, you know, gone through a lot of what the characters did. It was, you know, had that kind of impact. Yeah, I think there was, you know, I mean, I feel for you guys because, you know, I know I, as a director, can be a little demanding. But, oh, you know, <laughs> that's not true at all. <laughs> but, you know, there's nowhere to hide, you know, especially just reflecting on the style it's like, there it is, here it is for everyone. There's no hiding, there's no bells or whistles. Here is the performance, here is the moment. And it's either there or it's not there. And I think the actors did an amazing job. You are under a very tight schedule, like all Australian television, to mm. really um, dig deep and, and show a rawness that you don't always get the opportunity to see. I mean, there's moments on this show... You know, one comes to mind, obviously, where Hugo Weaving's character finds his wife. Uh, uh, you know, she's died at the end of episode one. Sorry if you haven't spoiler. seen it. Spoiler. <laughs> um, and, but to be on the set, to be on the, in the front row of that experience is like, you know, we're all in tears. Mm. So, it, you know, it was very much a collaborative experience. It felt like we were a little family making this... Very raw show. Yeah. You were in a bit of a love me bubble down there, weren't you, guys? We yeah. sure, literally. Yeah. And talk us through the casting a little bit because when you see the Swedish ver version and you kind of imagine characters, but I think we wanted to change and evolve some of those characters for the Australian audience. But in terms of putting together that cast, and there are you know three really central characters, obviously Boyana, Will, and, and Hugo, but putting that jigsaw puzzle together, did you know where you wanted to start, who you felt like you needed to get as the cornerstone role and how you built around that? Because the balance of those characters and that casting was so key, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, Hamish, you could talk to this too. I guess it is, you know, in television it is a collaborative experience. It's you guys and the producers of the show and obviously what, what I think. Um, but, you know, I'm always of an opinion that you... You know, you can imagine someone in a role and then they don't end up doing it for whatever reason and then you you have this person in front of you and that's, of course, always the person who's meant to play that. So I feel like we were so fortunate to get this group of actors mm. that um, were able to access what we needed to access and do such a beautiful job. Yeah, and I think in the role of Glenn, for instance, um, the, in the Swedish version, he was quite sort of monotone and I think in getting someone like Hugo, who's never really played a role like this, it was important to add that extra layer of complexity and dive into what he can do as an actor. And I think in doing that, we've really, really taken that role to another level and, and as such, it kind of bled into the other two. 
in the family as yeah, well. Yeah, you try not to. It's the first time I did an adaptation, so I watched it once when I was offered to direct it, and I loved it. But then I was like, I just don't even want to see that thing again. Yeah. Because it's like you can't. You well, don't Will's want to never copy watched it. You don't want to. Will hasn't watched it, I don't think. Have you? you? Have you watched it since? <laughs> I still haven't watched it. <laughs> no, no. Are we talking about our, our show or no, the Swedish one? Oh, Swedish, Swedish one. Oh, Swedish one. Right? <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't. No, I haven't seen it. <laughs> Sorry, Josephine. But no. Years to come. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And, Will, what drew you to this character? Why did you want to play Aaron? When it came, how did it come across your desk? And at what point did you go, this is something that you really wanted to do? Um, it's sort of like a lot of roles, really. I just auditioned for it. And it was one of the few characters where I was quite certain I wanted to play, you know. Um, and luckily enough, at some point, it did come my way. Um, but... Yeah, that was a character that uh, I feel like I would know this person, you know, um, and I also wanted to kind of uh, dig into someone that uh, has quite a authentic and, and a pure nature as a character, and for a young man as well. Um, I also just wanted to play someone that's quite, um, you know, deeply tortured in, in their own, mm. quite, you know, their own way. Um, and... Yeah, I was yeah very, very keen on playing that. Um, it's hard, you know, at times, but um, you know, I'm always really humbled that I got to be in his shoes, really. So, and how was it acting um, with the cast? Like there were, you know, some very acclaimed faces and some new faces. How did how did that how work? Did you, you really feel <laughs> acting opposite Hugo <laughs> Weaving in your first scene? Um, was your do, heart it's pumping? It's hard, like. Because I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan, right? <laughs> like, I'm like a huge fan of it. And I always try and remind myself to kind of leave Will at the door, you know what I mean? And then be the actor and be the try and be professional in front of these titans, you know what I mean? Um, and Hugo's just someone that I've looked up to for a long time. And I think at first it was a bit hard to, you know, not be... <laughs> You know, like the whole time. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's just such a genuine person. He's just like, just a, such a normal human being, yeah. you know. For someone of his credentials, he's just a normal bloke. And that just made it completely so much easier to just, you know, you know, bounce off each other through all the scenes. Um, but I love that man so much. Did you feel any pressure to step up to the plate when you were with him or...? Yeah, yeah you know, he just didn't... Because he didn't put the pressure on me. So that made it easier for me because he's just he's just very genuine in in the sense of making this you know a dual scene and and it's it's um it's collaborative mm. and um that just made it easier for all of us really and i and you know i it's just great really it's fantastic yeah but it felt like that you know the authenticness of the way the family dynamic was because when you are in a family event or dinner or you know like we had in this story it's not normally just one member of the family that's, you know, taking the floor or holding the conversation at the dinner table. And I think the first time we saw a picture of you all together in a plane going down to Melbourne, we're like, these people look like they're related. <laughs> you know, the f and that ca felt like that started from the very first rushes we started to see the way you were coming together in that family dynamic. Yeah, and it was hard because we, you know, everyone went into uh, two weeks of lockdown or, or quarantine. And so in terms of rehearsal, we would be rehearsing on Zoom 
which is never great. And I'm not a highly technical person, so I find it always awkward. But it was just, you know, it's like how are these people going to sort of work together? Mm. But I think everyone just naturally found the dynamic and, you know, we could work quite rigorously on the floor because, mm. you know, it wasn't like this extensive a zillion shots a scene. It was very much focused on performance so we could do more takes and, you know, be able to experiment a little bit more and find that dynamic between... Mm. the characters and the people. And we shot this at a time when if you're in Melbourne, you can't get out of Melbourne. We couldn't get back to, to Sydney. So yeah. the likes of Heather Mitchell and Sarah Pierce, who weren't shooting the entire way through, were in Melbourne the entire time, mm. all locked up at the Olsen Hotel. So I think for the cast, they all got to hang out quite a lot and, yeah. and get to know each other probably on a level that you wouldn't normally get outside of a COVID world. And that was kind of the blessing of COVID, wasn't it? I know it was so hard in terms of what it did on schedules and there were so many days. I remember there was one day when we were shooting that city scene and the city was getting shut down because there was COVID, anti-COVID protesters in Melbourne and you were negotiating with police. And But then the flip side is you were in this little bubble and you got to shoot some scenes in the city that we would never normally be able to shut down the city to get those Flinders Street station shots and things. That's right. Kind of I mean, it was a real opportunity to actually um, shoot where we wanted to shoot, but then, you know, you've got... You know, challenges and, you know, in terms of direction, it's like, which Hugo was commenting on as well, it's like, you know, I have to wear a mask and it's like your main communication with an actor is through your face, yeah. through... So there was... Yeah. I think I got an exemption in the end where I could put it down and... But we had paparazzi miles. as well, so we were like, mask on, don't, you know, yeah. we were following every protocol. We were very strict, But we you? were shooting at a time when if one person had COVID, the whole crew went down yeah so it was just so relentless day in day out everyone had to be wearing masks and it's tough I mean for you know cameramen or anyone really spending all day in a mask on their feet it's it's demanding I mean now we've moved on and you can you know someone isolates for seven days and the rules have changed so it's, there's a little more room to move there but we were certainly in the strictest of the time and it was looking back you know we had so little gap in timing from when we wanted to release this didn't we like there was really very little room for slippage you know the, the really the pressure every day it was like we got through another day and we're okay. the edit too you know it was a really tight edit so I was I was cutting two hours of drama every week mm. which is like um oh I, I really did feel like I was thrown from a moving car like it was just this <laughs> like so many thoughts and ideas and you know you're sort of setting up this new show and you're doing the two hours every week but it sort of worked that energy somehow really worked for the show. The intensity came through. Yes, yeah. yeah. And commitment. And these characters, especially the male characters, there's been a little bit of um, talk about the mirroring of some of the stories between the three family members. But uh, you touched on it before, Hamish, about um, Hugo's character. But there's a real sensitivity there. And you, the way you, I think it came across in the father-son relationship really well. But how did you prepare to bring that? Did you just try and... What was for you? Like, did you just try and... You know, imagine that you're in that position and... Because it, it, was, it was sensitive. It was a very sensitive young man's view of the world. Yeah, I th the bubble really helped with that. And us being together, I think, was a really great way of all of us kind of becoming this small little family. And um, that gave Hugo and I and, and, and Heather and Mitzi and Shalom time and Boyana to just discuss what's happening in this relationship this relationship between all of them. Um, but, you know, most of my... Because he's such a complex character, Aaron, um, and 
it's you know in an actor's job you you're dealing with something some most of the time you've never experienced before and in his position he's a young man that's had some really serious effects through the loss of his mother mm. um and that's something i couldn't you know really relate to because i haven't experienced that um so but my dad actually was the same age around Aaron when his mother died so um i took a lot from him actually and just a lot of phone calls with him and you know trying to just you know, politely ask, because it was really difficult for him as well, just where was your head at at that stage? Um, the most interesting thing about it was the family dynamic in, in with his father mm. and his sisters was just completely separate from each other and they were all grieving in their own way. And even his father was, you know, almost in a state where he thought he was the only one that was feeling the pain no one else, else understood and that was sort of weird to me because that's sort of how Aaron feels because you know Glenn is experiencing his own little bit of grief and Clara is in her own world and uh, the fact that Aaron's seen his, his two family members that aren't reacting the same way he's going what the fuck why, why, why do you guys not care you know what I mean? And why are you like? Why aren't you crying every day? And why are you, you know, bawling in tears and stuff? And um, so yeah, that really read to me at first. But um, and I think just observing, especially like one of my favourite scenes, I think it's in episode six with um, Glenn and Aaron on the bed on Christine's mm. bed. And I think, you know, I mean Hugo when he's on set, he's entirely present and available. And I think, I don't know if, I mean, I felt that even as a director, it's like, you know, you're with him in every bit of the scene and watching the two of you work, you were entirely present in the scene. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, you know, a, a wonderful gift for all of us to see an actor like that work at that level because it can only inspire all of us to be as good as him. Yeah. That's how I felt every day. I was like, you, you're just incredible. You're... Your work ethic, so your giving. focus, your generosity, your preparation. You are so present in the moment. Mm -hmm. And then what that inspires from everyone around him is this quest to do beautiful work. And mm -hmm. I particularly saw that, you know, with Will and Hugo. I think that was a really such a strong bond between the two of them. Yeah. But there actually there wasn't much, like, we didn't really talk at all in between that in that scene and that was like the really interesting part because we just like did it and there was no discussion i think we both just understood what was going on and it, between each take we just go back and let's like hugo would just go let's just try you know what i mean let's just try something and see if it works and that was like heaven for me yeah, you amazing know? experience though because to, to hold your own and lift to that level of skill yeah. um and experience is um yeah, you did a wonderful job. Yeah, it was just preparation at the end of the day, wasn't it? They were so prepared, and um, as was Emma and all the crew. But when I mean, you're getting Hugo and Will, you know, coming in there doing their research and just being ready to, you know, hit the nail on the head straight away, it just means everyone else has to lift to that that pursuit of excellence as well. Well, then it's about on set. Like, you know, we're so as I get older, I just have been doing it now for God knows how long, twenty <laughs> years or whatever. Um, it was so fussy, like it just bothers me so much in filmmaking and television making and it's like for me now at this point in my career it's about taking so much of that away, like making it a space where people can feel that they can experiment and try things. It was a very soft 
set, for want of a better word. It was mm. like a, a place where people could really feel free to experiment. And like, for instance, marks for focus were gone. I can't bear those. People have to hit those and look down, try to subtly hit down, look down at the mark. And it's like if you could take away some of that, um, the machine, then you can get this kind of pure feeling and, and people feel like that they can show that part of themselves. But I think a lot of that came from you, Emma, in the sense that you absorbed a lot of the heat that was happening on the production side, you know, in terms of COVID restrictions and timelines. The, the resounding feedback I had from actors was that they felt like they had a million years to get to get a scene done, and I think that's your ultimate I think goal. I deserve a Logie. Yeah. Oh, actress. sure. <laughs> for best actress yeah. in a drama series <laughs> under pressure. Oh, Hugo, can I have another take, or let's just try? So oh, of course. It was almost <laughs> like, like a we're film. Two hours down. It was a film, wasn't it? It didn't feel like a TV show at all. Oh, with let that, let me tell you, it was a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> And Boyana's in Cerber, I think, at the moment, but she plays her character, Clara, is, I think, one of my favourite lines when, um, when Hugo's character, Glenn, says, fear is not a, a reason not to do something. And Clara was like a, a, a nut that needed to be cracked, didn't she? How did you approach working with Boyana? Had you worked with her before? No, we had met each other in the past and, um, you know, she's a wonderfully complex, super intelligent actor and... and just a firecracker of a person and and it seemed to me that she had so many of the elements and the spirit of Clara and you know when you're doing six hours of drama you're always going to the basics of how does this person transform how what's this person's journey and it was really building it with her and a very much an unraveling of this person who was quite uptight at the beginning yep. and had lost some hope and about her cracking open and, 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 and opening up and seeing the possibility. So we had a great, you know, a, a fantastic working relationship and a really rigorous one. And that's what I could say about the show, it was rigorous. I feel like, you know, we really did try to uh, dig deep. Um, and Boyana certainly brought that, you know, and I think that was... And that was for her, like, just to show that fragility more, at, I guess, towards the end of the series. It was really confronting for her. So everyone had their own challenges mm. within the piece. Yeah. Well, Love Me has been one of the most successful dramas that the Foxtel Group has ever commissioned. It is a binge original, but it is seen on both the Foxtel and binge platforms, which opens it up to an enorm enormous audience. Um, and, you know, proud to say that I think the largest drama we've had in the group in five or six years. Um, so just so many people seeing it. And an audience that was very broad. And when we look at... Um, you know, how we assess content, it's things like if it is all dropped at once, how binged was it, you know, the completion rates, what else did people watch around it and we were really pleased to see the audience mirrored the three generations, you know, it was hugely um, successful and popular on Foxtel as well, um, as well as that younger kind of binge skewing audience, male and female as well, so really, um, you know, thankful for what you did and, and brought to the project, all of you. <laughs> Well, as I said before, embarrassingly so, my mother is the judge of my work and she watched it four times. Oh. So, well done. Good old Has Irene. it been so keen on some of the others? <laughs> she doesn't just tell you everything's but good. But love me. Oh, just. That's but I think too, like even talking to my parents who are in their 70s, they were like, they just love the idea that, you know, um, sexuality in 
you know, that age group was explored. Yeah. And I think that was also a really interesting and beautiful part of the show that we could explore such raw sexuality um, working with an incredible intimacy consultant because some of those um, intimate scenes were so you know, confronting in a sense. and um They were, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because it came up when we were doing the promotion for the show as a, a question from lots of journalists about the sexuality in it and the, and the love scenes. And it, wh why should it be unique? Like, if we were... This is really about putting love at the centre of your life and what happens when you make that leap and commitment. And it shouldn't just be at the stage of being young or falling in love. And if we were over in France, it wouldn't have been shocking. So wh why was it so I mean, unusual it to see people in their 70s or 60s having sex? I mean, that was my focus. I was most excited about those scenes because I thought you just don't, like in my 20 years of directing, you know, there's always a scene where like people kiss or something and then it's like, cut to later, they're in post-coital <laughs> position and they've had a wonderful time but we haven't seen it. And I was like, this is fantastic. Like, you know, we go into that room and we see every moment and we have two actors that are willing to go there. Mm. Um, I thought that was just one of the most beautiful, for me as a director, beautiful experiences to see that sexuality uh, represented on screen. And you did go there. I mean, Will, some of your scenes were very raw and very intimate. What was it like working with the intimacy coordinator? It's quite a new thing in Australian productions, isn't it? Something we're seeing increasingly. Yeah. Can you uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, and we're still ironing it out, I think, you know. Like, I think, I think we've still got a way to go. But what I love is that there is that person there that can work with the actors and make sure that the actors are happy mm -hmm. with what's going on and that it's pre-planned and pre-blocked. They've brought the ideas to the table and then that intimacy consultant speaks with me and then I can talk about my ideas. Mm -hmm. um, so you kind so of pre-meet, pre-plan, yeah. kind of agree on what, what will happen and, and what moves everyone will... And then on set you're working, you know, to try to cover it you know, in a way that is acceptable to everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, with a show like Love Me that's so much about sexuality, you, you, you need to show it, but it's like how much of it, mm. you know, and who is, who is comfortable. So we certainly did push the boundaries of it and our intimacy consultant was amazing. So it's really exciting for me. It, it was like um, a new thing and... Because I've always directed those scenes myself, but mm. I just loved working with Amy Cato, who was our intimacy consultant. Mm. And, and from what I understand, Amy never treated it like a stunt. You know, it was more she got into the character of it as well and workshopped that with you and the actors. So there was a whole other layer to it. You know, that she brought to the table, which ultimately helps you with both timing and also you know dealing directly with the, the talent themselves. Yeah, it's certainly not as awkward. Yeah, interesting. It's great. Hamish, what did the Swedes think of our, our version? Have you heard from them? Is it, has it been sold to Sweden? Yeah, so it'll, it'll go to Viaplay, who commissioned the original version. Mm -hmm. And Josephine is just over the moon. She the creator, the, the original. The creator of the original. She just absolutely yeah. loves it. She sent me a whole bunch of emails and messages after. Just can't believe that her little baby's been remade and remade so well. Um, and then, you know, the original Swedish version never sold into the US. So now, you know... Mm by way of us, she's, she's getting the story out to the US. So um, she's really excited and they're, they're really thankful. Wonderful. And after the Hulu sales, some more territories coming soon, we hope? Yeah. Yeah. No, they're in the works at the moment. So, 
lots right. of lots of interest in Europe and all over the place. So we'll see where we land. Yeah, it'd be lovely to see that Melbourne love story travel so far. It's just been so pleasing to see how it's connected with the Australian audience. I think one of the most positively um, what we kind of measure customer sentiment. You know, we look at social and Twitter and, and customer service questions and feedback and, yeah, just so pleasing to see um, it, it, it kind of connect in that really emotional way that we, we hoped it would and some really lovely to work on something that's had such positive feedback. And over summer it was fun. We've marketed it. We obviously, this is a little bit of fun. I haven't got any questions, so I'm going home with a suitcase of perfume. Um, but we wanted to take over the city. Like, we really wanted... Um, Love Me To Be Everywhere. We commissioned Julia Stone. I think early on you and I um, had a conversation with the producers about the music. And, and Emma, I know you had, you know, you're putting playlists together and the way um, the playlist goes throughout the series. And we wanted that to come across in the marketing as well. So Julia actually um, re-recorded that famous song, didn't she, for us? And we put it in the show as well. Yeah, we've drip-feeded it throughout the show, I think, in three or four different moments. So yeah, that was a great experience. Julia's got such a, a beautiful voice and she absolutely loves the show. So, and it was a fitting song. I think it worked really well with the publicity. But another thing was the music. I think Emma did such an amazing job, you know, on, on the playlist for the series. Um, every song was an absolute banger. There were songs we haven't heard of before that, you know, I've now got on my Spotify playlist. And I think just re-watching or, or seeing snippets of the show on, on Foxtel or Binge, um, you know, there's always these beautiful tracks coming through. And just tonally, I think it was perfect, especially for that time of year as well. How does that fit into the creative process, Emma? Does that start at the very beginning as the part of the kind of mood board and the influence of what you're trying to create? Yeah, or? I knew the area which I, you know, imagine the music to sit. And obviously we work with a music supervisor as well who will send us tracks. But a lot of the time it was just me listening to things at two o'clock in the morning and <laughs> sending it to the editors and they would try it. And our editors were extraordinary. They worked mm -hmm. so quickly and... With such efficiency they would just try stuff and send it to me so it was just but I, I knew it was in that area so I think it was it was actually sort of fell into place quite easily sometimes it doesn't and, and in this case thankfully it did but there's some beautiful tracks on there and just getting the balance right between it taking over a scene but heightening it as well I think speaking to Hugo at the launch he talked about in the first episode when will your characters cycling in the opposite direction of an you know an ambulance that's rushing to the house and the music that's kind of building in that moment but you have to kind of refrain yourself from from paying too big a role don't you like well, how does it yeah you know, I mean I probably lean to more the subtle side of things um so uh you know it's just about the music sitting within the piece but doesn't like I don't want to feel like it's covering something or trying to make something work I'm quite strict I always watch a cut without any music at all because I just want to see it for what it is and then work from there so yeah I felt like it was embedded in the piece uh, which is what you're aiming for yeah wonderful well any questions from the floor in the last few minutes yes hey No. No, no, they're not. No, we, we, as part of the writing writer's room, we broke down each episode, um, act by act, scene by scene, basically, and then looked at where we could change things, what elements of the story, what elements of the characters' journeys we could, we could shift around and play around with. But 
Um, Josephine did such, did such a great job structurally, I think, with the arc of the series and the arc of each individual episode that we, we, we figured that it, it did work, but we, you know, we wanted to obviously, you know, make the major changes to each of the characters, so all the dialogue's been, everything's been rewritten. Alison Bell was our lead writer who yeah. wrote The Letdown, who is extraordinary and I think did an amazing job at overseeing all the episodes, but the writers like Leon Ford, Adele Vuko. Adele Vuko, yeah, Blake Ashford. Blake Ashford were the writers. So yeah. it did, like, scene by scene, the intent was there, but the dialogue was obviously different and and some of the characteristics were really different. Um, and also the end of the series is really different. <laughs> so where they take off, if there ends up a series two, I imagine that it could go anywhere from here rather than being uh, tied to mm. the original work. And that was where we brought a bit more of the Australian sensibility to it, a lot more of the humour, and that was probably a bit of Alison's background as well, Alison Bell's background, but wanting to translate some of those heavier tones into, um, into a way that we felt we would... Uh, a way into the series that wasn't, wasn't too dark or um, yeah, narrow in the way we looked at, look at these complex emotions. Yeah, and Al's incredibly... Alison Bell is incredibly smart. So she did a lot of work in removing some of the gagginess, I think, that could have been there and, and allowing the, the comedy to come through in the truthfulness, as Emma said before, and I think she sort of did that really yeah, well. Yeah, she did a... under really you know, a short time frame did an extraordinary job at, um, I think, delivering... Like, I, when I read the scripts, I just loved them. I think she did a, an incredible job. It wasn't forced as well. No. No, it felt very natural, the way it, it just sat right, which was really, like... And I think that's what people... There's a, a very common thing with television where the humour is quite forced and it, mm. it, we kind of lose that, that thing that has it, but we really hit... The, well, Alison really hit the nail on it, so, yeah. Amazing. Wonderful. Yeah. Haim, do you want to take it? Uh, as in adapting IP? I think so, but I mean, we're, you know, it's a perfect opportunity to create original content in Australia. I think it was great. Something like love me where the the core premise was so you know i guess translatable into english language made a lot of sense but i think you know in terms of original original content original stories we've got some of the best creatives best talent in the world i think embracing some of the storylines here and pushing the focus on on original contents you know a, certainly a big big um, driver for us going forward yeah sorry that's not quite what i meant the sort of lack of development funding i suppose is more what i meant when I asked that question. Right, well, we at Warner's, we actually internally fund development. So we see it as a really key um, stage of the process. I think you, you've got to really put the time into the interrogation of the material. Um, we generally like to bring a, a big group of writers together over a, a sort of three, four week period for some really you know, extreme brainstorming. I think that sort of then weeds out a lot of the potential issues with the show. So yeah, we, we, we see development as an incredibly important piece of, of the puzzle. Um, sometimes, you know, development can be rushed to meet certain deadlines, certain, certain timelines, um, and, and ultimately that can pay, you know, you can pay the price down the line if the, if the work hasn't been done up front. So certainly from Warner Brothers' end, it's something we're, we're putting a lot of emphasis on is, is making sure the product's ready to go into pre mm -hmm. by the time that, that time comes along. 
And certainly the approach at Binge and, and Foxtel is we're in the room with the writers at that stage. We're very, very clear on why we're commissioning something, the audience that it's for, how it will be, you know, that final connection back to the marketing. For us, this is a, you know, Australian local content is a really important part of our content strategy. So we, we just make sure that that's very clear from the very beginning. Um, and it, as it's getting developed, if it's not going in a direction or, you know, we've, we've got time to correct it before we, yeah, make that final decision. But we always want more time and money. <laughs> always, yeah. Please. Want to make more, more, more. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're out of time. If there are any other questions, then we'll thank you for coming. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, guys.